0: Good evening, Riverhouse. Someone told me that, they said, Jordan, you know when you say, hey, everybody, welcome to church, are you excited? They say, you say that with a real monotone expression, (laughs) so so that's why I was trying to, hey, (laughs) Riverhouse. Um, I have a couple announcements also as well, Um, just to uh, uh, refresh you with the holiday schedule. We do have church next week, and then the following Sunday, there's no church, but we will be here next Sunday, and then the following day, we'll be here that Monday as well, 7 o'clock, 9 o'clock, for Christmas Eve, Um, but next Sunday particularly... Uh, just felt the Lord's um, it's to say, I want to do a time of ministry and so uh, more personal ministry and so particularly um, healing. If you know people in your life that are just contending for a miracle breakthrough in their bodies, I just want to personally invite you. And we're going to have just more of a space to really minister um, to individual needs and really let the Holy Spirit move. And so, um, yeah, we we've never really done that before, so I think it'll be um, a good way to end the year and and just let God. Uh, do whatever God wants to do, um, but really create space for that. Uh, We always want him to do what he wants to do. Um, So those, and then last um, little quick announcement is just for year-end giving, um, any of you uh, that, uh, if you can just get your, checks dated by the 31st, um, that will be able to um, account for 2018. So um, just get those in. For some reason, people are always calling, waiting till the 31st. You, you can give any day, really, between now and the 31st, but, uh, but by the 31st is great. So um, that's that. Uh, if you can uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, uh, we're just going to read one verse together tonight, and I'm going to pray. And then we will get going. So everyone tuning in online, welcome. Uh, Welcome to Boise. (laughs) The weather's great. (laughs) All right, well, let's pray. So Lord, we thank you, God, that you uh, desire to be here with us. What a privilege. We don't want to take that for granted. And God, just continue to release fresh words from heaven, God, that are uh, inciting our imagination Um, with your thoughts, Lord, and bring us into the kingdom tonight, I pray. Let your kingdom come, your will be done. uh, In every heart that's receiving this message, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, we have been uh, kind of on a journey uh, in in, in the good soils, uh, talking about good soil, that was last week, and uh, looking at that parable, and I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and really just feel like the Lord's wanting to start speaking as a community is how does this practically look like? Uh, What does this play out as in our life? How do we build our lives on the rock of Jesus. And, you know, it's, there's so many theories that are wonderful uh, in the body of Christ and the Bible, but we want to make them real. In particular, what I've been kind of chewing on is we want to be, you know, a prayer movement, right? We want to be a people marked by prayer. Leonard Ravenhill, no, no church, no person is greater than their prayer life. So we want to have a dynamic prayer life as a community, right? But we also have this missional call, and we want to influence our city, and in Boise, uh, right? And then we also talk about healthy family, and we want to, you know, uh, cultivate these communities of connection and deep, meaningful relationship. And all of those things are wonderful, but in some ways, they're easier said than done. You know what I mean? And you're, sometimes I can get like, well, what do I do today? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that's a lot, like. I'm doing good, just like, where do I read in the Bible today sometimes, you know? Anybody else? I guess you guys are pretty spiritual then. I often will ask that question, you know? So anyways, uh, what does the rhythm of life look like where we can actually cultivate these things? That's the point of saying that, right? Like, you have to have intentionality. Uh, You don't just drift into seeing these things actually expressed. You have to really go after them. And so I'm going to talk about, and, and really feel like the Lord's wanting to start talking about, is what is the... What does it look like to come under his leadership and actually cultivate a rhythm of life that's governing how I'm building my life around the promise that he's given me, right? So that, that everything I am doing is in alignment with the kingdom of God, right? And, and that's kind of my, my aim. And so really, I want to just open up the, this topic tonight, and, and I'm going to continue it into the new year. But I'm going to start on the topic of prayer because I believe prayer is the priority when it comes to the kingdom life. Um, but just to be honest with you all, I've been disturbed how I, to even approaching the topic of preaching on prayer. and the reason I'm disturbed is because I preach on prayer a lot. I've, I, most times, I feel like I've preached on it at most churches when now go and speak. like I always have a component of prayer because it's very central to my understanding of Jesus, of his kingdom, of how we live this Christian life. But, I'm disturbed because I've preached on it enough to see people like fill the altars and people crying and I'm gonna do it from now on and then like time goes and it's the same sickness of prayerlessness that seems to be exuded throughout the body of Christ and I'm not trying to point any fingers and do condemnation but it's just a struggle like I see the constant struggle and so I'm like Lord Man, I mean, I can fire some people up on prayer, but I don't want to just speak some words that are, like, really exciting tonight, and then it doesn't actually change the way we pray. Does that make sense? Like, I already know you're going to forget 90% of what I'm going to say by, like, Wednesday, so I'm like, Lord, I don't want to waste our time here. I want to see transformation. You know what I mean? So I, I, this, this disturbance has kind of pushed me where I'm going to approach a familiar topic of prayer In a very different way, probably, than what you did to get you to pray more. I was expecting. And my goal is really, truly, my goal is not to get you to pray more. This is not the goal of tonight. My goal is actually to uh, change the way you think about the kingdom in such a way that you see prayer in a whole new light. And that motivation actually begins to rise up within you because of what you see. Right? Like, if we see the kingdom... It's impossible to understand the kingdom and not be a person of prayer. Let me put it that way. And so prayerlessness, I believe, actually boils down to a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge of what God's kingdom is actually like. So my message, I guess, is more on the kingdom, but particularly pertaining to prayer. All right? Who's curious? All right. Cool. So Matthew 6. uh, We're going to do Matthew 6, verse 33. It's really the only verse... Uh, we're going to read tonight and and, and really just going to unpack two words from it. And this is Jesus preaching to the disciples. And he says this, says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Right? So these words, seek first. Seek first. I've just been gripped by these two words, seek first. And I think there's a lot It's a loaded loaded statement that we're to seek first the kingdom. And the reality is that in Jesus using the word seek first, he's implying that there is a competition taking place. Because when you think of the word first, how do you recognize what first is? It's the winner. right? It's the person on the podium. It's the gold medal. It's first place. So Jesus is implying that there's a competition for first place. In your life, in my life, and he's telling us what needs to win every time, every day, in the context he's actually talking about every day, is the kingdom. All right, so what does it mean to seek first the kingdom, and what is the competition? Right? The competition is it's a competition of kingdoms. It's a competition of culture. It's a competition of two different economies that are actually in, in a clash. Right? There's a kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of man. Right? And there's a competition. There's a clash taking place between two kingdoms. And so I want to just articulate a little bit first of what is the kingdom of God. And what, is, what do we mean when we're talking about the kingdom? Right? It's like it is a castle. Is there a moat? Are they like crocod- Like What is the kingdom? Right? I think sometimes we let things kind of stay comfortably placed in abstractness because it alleviates us of responsibility, right? And so we need to know what the kingdom is, because it's very practical, it's very real, it's very everyday, but we often just kind of leave it at like, yeah, God, let your kingdom come. right? When that, that's not the prayer, right? Jesus is actually inviting us to a radically new way of living life, and that new way of life is called the kingdom. So what is the kingdom? The kingdom is simply God's way of thinking about and engaging with life. It's how God does life, right? It's how he, he thinks about life. It's how he would do it, right? The kingdom is what it would look like if God was here living life, and he came and did that, and modeled the kingdom, right? Jesus, Jesus showed us what the kingdom's like. He lived it, right? And so he's, when, when we pray, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, like in Boise as it is in heaven, right? That sounds awesome, but I think sometimes we think of people just like getting slain in the spirit on every, you know, on 8th Street, just everyone's on the ground, just having visions of God. I don't think that's what on earth as it is in heaven. looks. all of the stuff, Right? When, we, when we say we want Boise to look like heaven, we're simply saying we want all of the subjects of God's kingdom, all his kids, to, to come under his authority and leadership so that in every human interaction that takes place in Boise, Idaho, tomorrow, exudes the wisdom and goodness of God. Right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about human beings living a different way, an alternative, transformative way of life called the kingdom. Right, but it's very practical. Right? And I, I use this example. I've used it a few times here because I like it because it's so dang practical. But Jesus, right, he's in a political hotbed in Israel. Right? And you've got the, this law where the, are, the Romans are in charge. They've got a law that they can subject a Jew to anytime they want, that they've got to drop their day, whatever's going on, to take their armor and carry it one mile. Right? That, that was a law-enforced law enforced to reiterate to the Jewish persona that you are subjected and we are in charge, right? And so the Jews were living in a day, this was, this was a source of pain, this was a source of frustration, and there was two ways that they could deal with it. They could either passively submit and give their power away, which is a terrible feeling for a human being to be subjected in that way, or they could rebel and probably say some good French that would get them in trouble. And get him in jail, right? So, two ways. Jesus comes bolstering this way of the kingdom. And what does he say? Hey, if someone asks you to go one mile, go with him. 20. You <laughs> 20. Dang! <laughs> You're running a marathon now. G- go with him, too. What was Jesus doing? He's saying, hey, Here's a new way to engage with a painful situation where you can both submit and keep your power and say, yes, I will obey the law, but you will not take my dignity. I'll carry it two miles. See, the kingdom opened a way where there was no way. Very practical, right? How many ways need to be opened in the city of Boise? How many, how many dichotomies, black and white dichotomies, need to be expressed with color where people say, oh my gosh, That is brilliant, right? The world is waiting for that. It's waiting for you and me to become people of the kingdom because we will start pioneering paths that will open and liberate people's minds that they are not stuck in these dichotomies but they can live according to the kingdom and the kingdom is a transformative way of living life and it's how God come by force. Isn't that cool? How does the kingdom come? It does not come by force. It comes by leavening. Right, we don't go and say, hey, you're doing it wrong. Submit. It doesn't work. Right? You simply begin living according to the way of the kingdom, and that leavens every environment. How does leaven work? You don't see it. It just kind of hides in the dough, and then all of a sudden, boom, springs up. Right? The kingdom is an attractive way of living life. And every environment in which you and I step in and walk the way of the kingdom, it gets leavened with the influence of God in it. Springs up, boom, right? You don't even, you know, you start doing business the way that God does business, right? God is better at business than you. I don't care how, who you are. He knows how to do business better than you. When you start doing it his way, people start asking you, how the heck? What the heck are you doing? It will preach the gospel for you. They'll start asking you about Jesus. Say, so where's that in the scripture? Isaiah 60, arise and shine, for the kings of the earth will come, To you. I've heard people say, you got to get out there and share the gospel. People aren't just going to come asking you questions. No, they will. When you start living the way of the kingdom. I'm not against sharing the gospel. I'm just saying it's both. All right. So why I say that, right? There's a competition. There's a clash of kingdoms, right? Which what I'm talking about there is it's a clash of the way you live life. There's the way you, it's the way of God or the way of man. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. They're a lot higher. So the competition for seek first, for first place, is my ways or your ways. That's the clash. That is what's competing for first place in your heart and my heart every single day of your life. The way of man or the way of God. And the difficulty that we can have in this clash is that it can often be difficult to differentiate what's the way of the kingdom and what's the way of man right and there's a few reasons for that that I just want to mention a couple just to kind of spark your thinking here Um, the first is that there's a lot of overlap between the two they are not completely distinct of one another there's elements that are actually similar to both right so one would be like fruitfulness the kingdom of God John 15 says it's the will of God that you bear much fruit right so Fruitfulness is valued in the kingdom of God, right? In the kingdom of man, we also value fruitfulness, right? We look at people that produce great things. We value that. So fruitfulness is similar to both, and there's a lot of other things that are similar. So it's not just this black and white, just like, doom, you know, this one, that one. There's similarities. You kind of have to ponder these things sometimes. Um, And I think, honestly, the thing that trips us up the most when it comes to discerning uh, the kingdoms that are at clash in our life is that there is a difference between the kingdom and the church, right? And oftentimes there, there, you know, there are elements of the church, right? The church, the church at its best is meant to be a a a group of people that are living in actually, like, we're like a, we're like a Petri dish where God's like, putting his leaven of his presence, and it's like cultivating this infection called the kingdom <laughs> that exists of love. And we're supposed to just like pioneer this path of the kingdom and then go infect the world with love, right? That, that's the role of the church. But what happens when the church loses the prophetic calling she's been given to, to be basically the community, the, the, the entrance point through which God releases his kingdom culture on earth, right? But what happens sometimes is the church begins really, there's no other way to say it, has sacrificed her conviction and purity on the altar of influence. Right? We'll water it down a little bit if we can have influence with the world. Altar, we begin watering it down, and what happens when we do this, when we sacrifice our conviction on the altar of influence, is we begin championing messages that the world's championing, but we get some scriptures and put them on top. (laughs) Bless you, sister. <laughs> you know, if none of you else liked it, I know she did. We're good. <laughs> right? So, so we get confused because we start trying to figure out what's the message of the kingdom and what's the message of man, and sometimes the church is speaking both. Right? And this is the truth. And I'm not trying to pick on any particular thing. I'm just saying this is what we have to guard ourselves from. But Jesus did not sacrifice his conviction or his purity. Everyone knew he was a holy man. Right? Everybody knew. Peter said, get away from me. I'm a sinner. You're a holy man. Everyone knew Jesus was a holy man. But his holiness did not sacrifice his ability to influence culture. The sinners loved him. They loved him. Right, So the church doesn't need to do this, but we've fallen into this. It's fear of man. right? So what happens then in that dichotomy is the church begins to champion messages that are the doctrine of men, but superficially we put scriptures on top of it. So there's things that look the exact same as the culture that we're living in. We're just putting our scriptures on top of it. So it really doesn't have, it's not, it's not, it's not the third way. right? It's not this new way of living. It's just kind of we're copying culture and doing it in our Christian way. That's not the way of the children of God, right? So, but all of that creates, I'm just trying to show that it creates some confusion sometimes when we're trying to figure out, okay, I don't even realize I'm in a clash right now because I'm not necessarily aware and coming to places of understanding of the messages that I'm championing, all right? And I'm not trying to, like, mess up your whole world and say you've got it all wrong. I'm simply trying to say that, because I'm talking about prayer again, and, and here we go, is, is we're living in a clash that we're often not that aware of, but at the center of this clash is prayer, right? At the very center of the drama, of the conflicts between the two kingdoms, is, is your prayer life, right? And the reason for that is your prayer life is the door of entrance into the kingdom of God. The kingdom, it, it, it's, it's the starting point. It's how you enter into the kingdom is you connect with God himself, right? So it, if there's a clash of kingdoms going on in our world, the place that will be contested most is the prayer. It's the prayer closet, right? Is—is intimacy with God, right? So prayerlessness is, is the fruit. It's the evidence. It's the indicator. It's the flashing light that says, there's a clash going on. There, there's a fight for first place in your life. And where it will show up is your prayer life. That is the determining factor on which kingdom you're living in. Right, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to articulate this. I'm going to extrapolate it a little bit more so that you can see what I'm saying. But prayer is central to this. right? And so the disturbance I have over witnessing the prayerlessness of the church And and this is not just coming from people coming to church. I've heard this from pastors of churches. I'm too busy to pray. Right? This is a real epidemic. And it's a sickness. It's a cancer. And I'm just declaring over you all right now that this church will not be a church marked by prayerlessness. That sickness will have no place in Riverhouse Church, Boise, Idaho. But we have to understand the kingdom, if that's to be true. All right. So seek first the kingdom. King Jesus tells us Matthew six thirty three. He then tells us in the parable of treasure in the field. He says that the kingdom. So seek first the kingdom. But Jesus says the kingdom's like a treasure hidden in the field. You go sell everything and you get the treasure. All right. And then Jesus also tells us that where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Right? So to seek first the kingdom means that what you treasure is where your heart is. right? And then Jeremiah 29 talks about the posture of the heart. It says, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So to seek first the kingdom means... The priority of your life is to search for God with all your heart. It means that the pursuit of his face is first place. It means that he stands alone, unrivaled, uncontested. If there's ever a competition, that's what wins. I seek the face of God. As for me and my house, we seek the face of God. Right? First place. It's really easy to recognize first place. Because first place always wins. It never loses. How do you know if you're seeking first the kingdom? Because the way you live your life will communicate a message to God that says, You have first place. There's nothing else that beats you. There's nothing else that gets before you. There's nothing, there's no other priority that could ever get between you because you're first place. It's not like a mystery. It, first place is easy to recognize, right? It's like back in you know, the Mike Tyson days. People said, who's the, who's the heavyweight champ of the world? Everybody knew Mike Tyson. He never lost. The dude's got a killer upper hand. He'll knock you out in a second. He's the winner. He's the champ. You don't have to question it. How do you know if you seek first a kingdom? Because he's first. He wins every day. Every single day, he wins. That's how you know. Isn't that simple? <laughs> I'm just thankful for the simplicity of that. It's like, Wow. Right? I'm passionate about this. I can speak this with conviction because it's, it's so paramount to my understanding of who Jesus is, what his kingdom's like. But being honest with you, I have struggled knowing how to translate the message and even speak on the message to all of you. Because I also carry this burden, which is I never want to put a religious yoke on people and make you feel like, well, you know, if you want to fulfill your call in the world, you better be praying five hours every day. You know, and, and I've heard that message spoken, maybe not quite that clearly, but that same kind of burden where it's like, oh, I just leave kind of like, oh, <laughs> whoo, <whew>, about that. <laughs> How do I weasel my way <laughs> out of something else? Right, so I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that kind of preacher where you're like, geez putting all this stuff on me, right? I carry the burden. I want to see you successful in the world. I want to see you successful at the ministries you've been called to fulfill in all the different realms of culture, right? It's not about what happens on Sunday. It's about what's happening the rest of the week. So the messages I preach should actually be feasible. They should be within the realm of possibility for you to actually accomplish and do, right? So I'm like, okay, hey, if you're first place, I don't know how to do this, Lord. I don't know where it translates And there was just a breakdown in my heart. And then the Lord spoke to me just this week. And it really just lit a fire in me. And he said, Jordan, your struggle has been that you've mistaken priority with majority. You've mistaken priority with majority. And then I just began pondering like the relationship with a husband and a wife, right? And I'm just hypothesizing on this. You all know that. Um, (laughs) But... I have to use it because it's like the main way Paul describes Jesus in the church, all right? So like, okay, thank you. Just stop judging me is what I was trying to say. (laughs) So just imagine, right, like a husband can communicate to his bride that she's the priority of his day without spending most of the hours in the day with her. That's possible, Right? And that takes place when he takes initiative and then uses some form of communicative action. Right? He he communicates a message to her and, and establishes a precedent of intimacy in any part of some day. Right. And so just for the sake of tonight, let's hypothesize he you know does something really sweet that's like you know, amazing, like only an act of God could inspire you with something that precious to do, you know, and brings breakfast and bread and just does something that communicates love and affection and that you you were a priority in my heart this day, right? So you do that, you establish a priority, like intimacy was the first thing, right? And then from the rest of the day, any communication that takes place between them is actually done within the precedence that was set already. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not trying to make some doctrine out of it, I'm just like, imagine that, right? You're like, yes, I can see that. The, there, was, there was connection throughout the day, there was intimacy established, all because there, there was action, there was initiative taken that communicated your priority, right? It didn't, it didn't demand the majority of the day because might've been at work all day, who knows? Maybe there's soccer games at night, whatever. But there's a difference between priority and majority, right? You can still communicate that someone is a priority without spending all the time. And I'm just talking about a daily rhythm here, right? And so that's human to human. It's it's even more so with God, right? God is not asking you to spend the majority of your time in the prayer closet with him. He's asking you that you spend the priority of your time, right? He's actually demanding it. He's jealous for you. Right, and you can communicate to him that he is a priority without giving him eight hours a day, right? And and I'm not going to talk about all the practicals of what the prayer closet looks like. I'm going to get to that next. But I felt like I needed to create the context before we just go into the practicals because if we don't if we don't have a new if we don't have a third way open up tonight, we don't even have space to u- to utilize the prayer closet because there's so much competition for it, right? There can't be competition. He's the priority. He has to win. Intimacy has to be established as the precedent of every single day of your life. So I'm not a morning person. I'm terrible. I'm grumpy. I am not a morning person. <laughs> it is like painful for me to get out of bed every day. Every day. I've never really liked waking up. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> Just being honest. It's like I can be really happy about what I'm going to go do, and I'm still not happy that I have to wake up. But my mornings belong to Jesus. Right? I was a business major in college, so I had the earliest classes, 7, 7.30, which, let's be real, for a college kid, that's like 4.30, 5 a.m. I would wake up two hours before class so that I could spend the first part of my day with him. And I set that precedent in my university years. It's never changed. If I had to do something this early, I wake up this early. Why? Because he's the priority. I I can't get to anything else till I've got to him. Right? If I've gotten to anything else before I got to him, something else won. Something else was more important. Right? How do you know something's the priority? First place. It's really simple to recognize. First place. Right? And it just, there's just a way, it's just a posture, it's a precedent that then we can carry with us the rest of the day. Right? And so I'm not saying it needs to be you know, five hours. It could be 30 minutes. It, it, I think it can change person to person, situation to situation. I'm just saying, priority does look like something and it's very easy to recognize. And the amazing thing, is that when we establish priority of intimacy with god there's actually promises attached to that right so matthew six thirty three, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you hmm somehow making that first takes care of everything else that the world says you need to get to now right john 15 i mention it all the time because i'm just hoping that that's going to be who we are as a people but the branches that abide in the the vine, intimacy, bear much fruit, right? So the posture that you're cultivating here is actually something that you can take with you to the related place, ministry, fruit, and then you can take it with you to the workplace, the marketplace, your ministry, and it will bear fruit. Right? And you say, how will it bear fruit? How, how does, how does intimacy lead to fruitfulness, right? It is supernatural. But it's logical if you think about it. Uh, It's because when you've established this as the priority, when you seek first the kingdom, you've entered the kingdom. And so then everything else you come to, you're actually walking in the kingdom at that point. You're walking in Jesus. You're walking in Christ, right? And all of creation responds extraordinarily well to the presence of the creator, So it's like, wow, there's just a supernatural ease on what I'm doing. There's a supernatural fruitfulness. There's a supernatural effectiveness. Yeah, (laughs) because you're living according to the way God does. He's like really good at life. It's like, wow, he's a genius. (laughs) Go figure. Yeah, he is. He's an absolute genius. He knows everything. Right? So one day of favor is better than a thousand days of labor. Right all of your efforts, all of your work ethic, all of it's one day, one day of favor, right I sat with a, a businessman years ago, and uh, you know he looked at me and he had this whole thing. he was a pastor, and he just made intimacy the priority he uh, His ministry grew over the course of like eighteen months from a hundred to a thousand youth pastor and uh, then he's now in business and uh, he, and he's he telling, he's like, yeah, you know, um, he just lives from a posture of intimacy, and he said, he's like a really, really wealthy businessman, um, but a man of God. And he told the Lord, he said, yeah, I need to make this amount, and after I make this amount this year, the rest of the year will be consecrated, and I'll, I will full-time serve the church. He's like, I made that deal the third week of, <laughs> I made that amount the third week of January on the craziest deal of my life. And he's like, so I'm about six, I think it was March or April at that point, so he's like, "Yeah, this whole year, I'm just serving the Church of Jesus," right? And he modeled it, right? So this is real. I'm not just talking about some type of make believe stuff. Right? This isn't theory. God is actually really, really good at life. Right? So you've entered the kingdom. That is why it produces extraordinarily extraordinary fruitfulness. Right? So. There is still a clash, and I just kind of want to articulate the clash because it's very important that we establish this priority, but the reality is that we don't we don't always do it. We don't always do it. And I think we're all still learning. Wherever you are in this, everyone has something to learn, including myself, of how to better establish and communicate that Jesus is the priority of my life, of my day, that he has first place. Right? And And as I... Kind of process and sit with the Lord in this, you know, what I see is, I'm just going to simplify, I'm going to give an oversimplification, but I think it, it will communicate a point to you, so just follow with me, is that in the kingdom of God, right, the intimacy is both the priority and the source of fruitfulness, right, in the kingdom of man, work ethic is typically the priority and the source of fruitfulness, Right. So a lot of times, you know, the messages that culture tells us is, you know, it's like work really hard, work really hard. And if you get on YouTube, you can Google like motivational videos. I do it sometimes when I'm feeling like I don't want to work out. And it's like, listen to that. And it pumps you up. Right. But the whole message is like, work harder, work harder. And there's this one where he's like, Beyonce, she sits there at the stage. She'd go from 4 a.m. to 4. 3 a.m. the next day, and she wouldn't even eat because she's working so hard. How hard are you working? I'm like, man, not hard enough. Let me do 30 more push ups. <laughs> right? It pumps you up. But, like, that's the message of cultures work really hard. Just keep working, working, working. And that's a beautiful message. Don't hear me wrong. That message is in the kingdom. It's just not first. Right? Intimacy is first, intimacy always wins. Because it's all about family. It's all about people, right? Works later. And, and so intimacy is a posture of rest. Work ethics is a posture of striving, right? But this, this is the deal. A lot of times because the waters get muddied, right? So we see fruitfulness. And we're pretty wooed by fruitfulness, generally speaking. It's like, wow, man, that's amazing. This is happening. That ministry, that church, this, whatever, that business, whatever it is. We see fruitfulness And the confusion that I think a lot of us have is we see fruitfulness, but we can follow fruitfulness that we see and we can trace it back to two messages. And this is often like, and it's not just like in the church and in the world. The confusing part is often we can see fruitfulness even in Christian context and we can follow it back to two sources. One is a message of like, work really hard. Like you can do it. He's in you. Go do it. Go create it. And then the other one is like, be a person of prayer, surrender, become dependent, like a Heidi Baker. All fruitfulness flows from intimacy. You know, I'll never remember, she's, I'll never forget, we are sitting there and she was preaching this message and she's like, starts just listing off all the fruit in her life. Ministries across the world, 60,000 church plants, all these things. And she's like, fruit, fruit, fruit. She's like, it's all from intimacy, it's all from the time in the presence. She's just fruit, fruit. And I was like, I hope I can bear like a tenth of this one day, you know? And, and, and those type of messages have a tendency of scarring you. Because you're like, okay, I can't, I can't unlearn that one, right? <laughs> and, uh, but we can follow backs, right? So we have two sources. And this is the thing. Striving, unfortunately, is very rampant in the church especially the Western church, right? And the stats show pastors is like one of the most unhealthy professions, generally speaking, burnout is like rampant, right? So you think about it. Why would a pastor building a church that Jesus says, I'm gonna build it and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Why would a pastor burn out if he was doing it with Jesus, right? I'm asking myself these questions. So it's not that I'm above reproach. I'm learning myself, but do you recognize that was the kingdom of God? The kingdom of man is influencing my leadership style, not the kingdom of God, right? So we follow fruitfulness back to two sources, and it gets confusing. Which message do I listen to? The message to work harder or the message to rest more deeply and become intimate? You're like, that sounds too good to be true. Are you following me? That sounds foreign. One sounds familiar. And the reason that work sounds familiar is because that is the message being preached to us every act. You know, that's, that's the world we live in. That's the way of man. You know, God says, my ways are higher than your ways. Competition. There's a clash. right? And the breakdown, if you really start getting into this and you see the consequences, is that in the kingdom of man... It all rests upon man. All right, it all rests upon the ability and capabilities of man. And so, what takes place is you know, if it's based upon my ability to work, I eventually will come under like a very restricting, you know, paradigm, governing paradigm, right? Because we all know we have limitation, you can only do so much. Right, we all know that there's seasons where we're more productive, there's seasons where we're less productive. We all know that, like, you know, we have our weekly rhythms, like, you know, Tuesday I'm fired up, Wednesday I'm good, Thursday I'm kind of usually moody, Friday I'm happy again, you know, like whatever it is. Like we all know. Afternoons, I'm low. This I'm like, we're not like these just machines. Right? So we have limits to our fruitfulness. We have limits to how much we can actually do. We have to sleep at night. You know, some people like Whatever they do, you know, they sleep in the deprivation tanks and don't sleep. And I'm like, that sounds like a recipe to kill yourself. But, hey, if it works, that's great, right? But, like, you have to sleep. You have to eat. You have to take a lunch break to get food. You have to drink water. You might have to leave your computer and go to the bathroom. All I'm saying is this, is we're aware of our limitation. We're very human. We can only do so much, Right, So then what happens is we all have these dreams within us. We have these desires. We have these promises. And God doesn't just speak about, normally it's not just one thing. It's like, wow, I have a desire for a family. I have a desire for this ministry. I have a desire for this business. I have a desire. Right, We have all these things. And what happens is if it's based on my work ethic and I know that I'm limited, I start falling into this limited paradigm where it's either or, either or. I start being torn. There starts being a competition within me to do the things that I was actually created and born to do. Do I do this or that? Do I do this or that? Do I do this or that? Or, or, or. I was actually created to do competition, competition within me to do the things I was actually created to do. Because I can't do what I was created to do without God. (laughs) Because I was created to live with Him in intimacy and union. Like I'm like a violin. And he's supposed to play me. And then something extremely beautiful comes out and gets expressed. Right? It's like it doesn't matter how hard I strive as a violin. I can't make it play. <laughs> Man, you guys really like that one. All right, so we get stuck in either or dichotomy. All right, so Saint Francis—he's a you know famous uh, you know saint in the Catholic Church. He's a, he's a monk, and he you know they had uh, rules of life. Uh, that, that monk kind of governed monasteries and monastic lives. And, and St. Francis had a rule that has kind of become the golden rule, and, it, and it's the one that has kind of survived the longest and has just influenced the most. And so just an amazing man, a pillar in the church. And there was a, a point in his life where he came to this crisis of decision, and he was torn of do I, do I invest my time with God in prayer or, or because there's so much fruitfulness there and he loves the presence of God Or do I continue the preaching ministry because he was seeing such transformation and fruitfulness because he was living the way of the kingdom. He was torn. He was literally torn in crisis. And he went to two people that uh, he very much respected from his um, mentorship. And he he laid it before him. And he said, whatever you tell me to do is what I will do. I can't hear God for myself. I've tried. I can't hear. I need you to pray. I need you to tell me what you do and whatever you say. That's what I'll do. They both prayed, came back, and they both had the same answer. They looked at him and they said, It's both. The Lord's called you to do both. Right? And the kingdom is not either or, it's both and. Right? Both and. But that mindset only comes from being connected to the God who says, Nothing's impossible. You might be limited with your time, your space, having to go to the bathroom, relieve yourself, sleep, all those things. He's like, I don't sleep. I don't slumber. I don't have to relieve myself. I'm working all the time. It's easy for me. I'm just chilling. I created the whole world in seven days. Me and you, we got it, no problem. We're partners. Both and, baby. It's not family or career. Both and. It's not this promise or that promise. It's not this desire of your heart or that desire. I can do it all. I'm God. But you only get that when you're connected to him. You only get that when he's the priority. You only get that when you've emptied yourself and you're just leaning upon him and in your weakness, he's just strong and strong and sufficient and more than enough and more than enough and God of abundance and the God who can do anything. Are you following me? Both and. We actually need the both and mentality if we're to do what we're called to do because this is the reality. We, We all know this. Even though we see fruitfulness, normally when we look at someone as an, as a, um, you know, an example of fruitfulness in one realm, Like, you know, I was obsessed with Michael Jordan, like most of my childhood. Just absolutely obsessed. Now I look at him, you know, and, and no offense to him at all, but I just, I just see pain. You know, I've read articles of things, and I'm like, what an empty, painful man. You know, broken. I mean, I've read something that says he still fantasizes about coming back to win another championship because, quote, Basketball is the only thing that ever brought me peace. you go, how sad. That's not fulfilling. That's not the life I want, right? The reality is that the only way that man, right, man's chief pursuit is not pleasure. It's purpose. It's meaning. We want our lives to matter, right? And the only way that you and I will live a purposeful, fulfilling existence and do everything we were created to do, we we actually need God to do that. We we can't do it ourselves, right? And so we need a dynamic, intimate relationship with Jesus. We're created for healthy, life-giving community, deep, meaningful relationships, healthy family, and a fruitful engagement with the world, a legacy to pass on to generations, right? A lot of people are like, well, I just settled here. I'm just going to create a healthy family. Some people are like, well, I'm just going to pioneer. I'm going to change the world. You know, it's, it's like, no, it's, it's, it's all of it. Yeah. It's all of it. You're created for all of it. It's not either or, either or. It's both and. Yeah. But that's a supernatural existence. That's above your ability, and the reality is that prayer is both the beginning of this journey, it's the beginning of this way, and it's actually what makes it possible. If prayer is not the precedent, if prayer is not the priority, you have no chance. But you need Him. It's all, it all comes from intimacy. And the beautiful thing is that in the kingdom, the way of the kingdom, you accomplish way more from rest than you ever can striving. But the fight is for first place. If he's first place, it brings alignment to everything else. Right? And and, and you're just, it's seasons and it's timing. You're in step with the spirit. You're in the right place at the right time. You got the right word in the right season. Right? And God can do things so much better than we can. So my prayer tonight, even as, you know, I'm sharing this. Again, it's not, I'm not like, hey, rah, 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 go pray more now. Right? It's, I want you to take a step back and just reflect in your life and say, what is the priority? Like, what is first place in my life? What do the way that I live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, what does it communicate is first place? What dominates my thinking? What dominates, like, what is the priority above all priorities, right? And my, my hope and my belief is that God in the same way where Jesus came into this either or dynamic of either submit or rebel in Rome and he opened a third way. I believe he's wanting to open the way of the kingdom to us as a community and it will actually create capacity for us to become a people of prayer. He wants to silence the competition so that we, we see, yes, yes, I'm gonna walk this path. I'm gonna walk this path. And that path will begin with prayer. And we're going to talk about the, the, the practicalities and what this looks like and, and, and hopefully just share and equip into this. So that's coming, but it's more, it's in my heart and my mind. Let's be a kingdom people. Let's seek for what the leadership of Jesus looks like in, in the way that we spend our time every day. Right? Like, let's not make it about the future. Let's make it about tomorrow. Let's make him the priority tomorrow, and we're going to wrestle and struggle and journey as a people into being, you know, into first place. It's a fight for first place, but I just want to prophesy over every one of you and say, you're going to win. You're going to win the fight. You're going to come out on top. He's going to be the one on the podium. Amen? Amen. Yeah, so just stand, and I'm just going to pray for us all. Lord, I thank you for this people that are called by your name. Lord, and we are all in the midst of a competition. God, we all find ourselves here tonight in a world that is at clash. God, there's a clash of kingdoms. There's a clash of economies. There's a clash of of thoughts and perspectives. God, there is a clash. God, but we thank you. Lord, for making a way where there seemed to be no way. We thank you, God, that time is simply a resource in your hand and you know how to use it. And I pray, God, that you will just give us grace as a people to begin engaging with the precious time you've given us in a way that exemplifies the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom. God, make a way tonight. God, put silence to the competition. God, just where there's been an either-or dichotomy, I pray that you will break in tonight with your thoughts, your perspectives. God, that your voice... God, that you will get in and permeate our minds and the reality of the kingdom will become so real. God, this dominating influence that will literally gravitate us, God, into the way of Jesus. God, I just speak over this house. God, that the priority of their life is the presence of God, God, that we are a seek first community, that we seek first the kingdom, God, that the priority of our life is to seek your face, that you have first place, God, that you are without rival, that you stand alone, seated on the throne of every single heart that's within this room tonight, God, and watching online, so I just thank you, Jesus. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the work that you're accomplishing. I thank you for the joy that's in your heart, God, that you are just so excited about the implications of where we are journeying as a people. And we just say, Lord, here we are Help us in our weakness, God. Give us grace in the midst of this struggle and empower us, God, with with just a deep belief within that we will win this fight and we will put you first. God, we love you and we bless you and this is all for you, Jesus. And we pray this in your mighty name, amen.